0: What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is a QA, and I'm going to get right to the questions. We can start cranking out the content. But before I do, just a couple quick announcements, guys. Number one, the first one, the most important one if you are in Seattle, if you are a trainer, if you are a coach, if you are a gym owner, if you are anybody who wants to improve their results and you are in the Seattle area or you are down, to fly out to Seattle next month, March 23rd, and hang out with myself and Sam Miller. Make sure you click th- click the link in the description. Lock down a seat at our seminar, the Elite Level Coaching Seminar. We are going to dive deep into training program design, nutrition, and application of all the science regarding physique performance, nutrition, training, general population, everything you can think of that is going to take your physique, your body from point A to point B, help you better understand the science so you can apply it to your own training and nutrition or your clients. We're going to cover everything we know, everything we've learned and everything we constantly research and apply into our own practice in one day. It's going to be jam packed, so if you want a seat, if you want to, if you want to fly, you want to fly, want to fly, want to fly out and and hang out with us for a day and learn. From myself and Sam Miller, click the link in the show notes below or shoot us an email. You can ask any question regarding the seminar. Send an email to Tori, my assistant, info at boomboomperformance.com. The second reminder, guys, I say it every time, but it does help me quite a bit. The number one mission of this show is to reach more people and help more people. We are doing this to create impact. And the reason we want to do this to create impact is because when I first started in the industry, before I even got into the industry, I would research and look up stuff. Um, I mean, shit, I actually just pulled up a website. If you remember simplyshredded.com, you know what I'm talking about. That was one of the websites I went to. And they just interviewed guys, but I would read what these guys were doing and how they were changing their body. And I would read Simply Shredded, T Nation, Scrawny DeBronny, Nate Green's website, Precision Nutrition. Um, I would read stuff from Christian Thibodeau way back. All these guys, right? And this is how I got into everything. This is how I transformed my body. So I made a mission to create a free platform where I could reach people around the world and help them transform their body, build muscle, lose weight, improve their hormones, improve their confidence, improve their energy, so on and so forth, just achieve a better life through fitness and nutrition. And that's what this podcast is all about. So if you're listening to this and you appreciate that movement and you want to support that movement and you want to join that movement so we can reach more people, please do me a huge favor. Number one, go leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. and Number two, Please take a screenshot of the show right now and post it on your Instagram story. That's the best place to share it and the easiest place to share it. And then you can tag me at Cody.BoomBoom, and I can see who you are and who's listening and have a conversation with you down in the DM. So once again, guys, please do us a favor. Subscribe, leave us a review, rating on iTunes, and then jump over to Instagram, share this on your uh, your story, and tag me so I can see who you are. Now, without any further ado, I promise, no more ranting, let's get on to this Q&A. All right. Before we get into the questions, um, I'm going to answer a very broad question that I've actually gotten quite a bit of times um, since I blew out my knee. So if you guys don't know, let me tell the story real quick. I blew out my knee. In fact, I don't even know if you could consider it blowing out because I feel like blowing out would be like the first time I hurt my knee. I was playing soccer and there was a long cross. It was from the right defender, across field to the left midfielder, which at the time was myself. Um, I was actually filling in. I usually play center, stopper area, and I was shifted over. um, And I received the ball, trapped it down, was dribbling. The goal was to my, like, forward right, and I was starting to cut in. And a guy came in, slid, tackled me right right outside the goalie box. um, And he tackled me, and I made a weird twist, planted wrong. Popped my knee, fell down. It was one of those things where the adrenaline just kind of carries you through the pain because I didn't even notice it. And I popped back up because the ball was loose. I'm like, cool, I'm right in front of the goal. Take a step with my right, I'm all good. Take a step with my left, and nothing works. And I just, boom, just collapsed, right? So it was just wiggle wiggle knee. um, And there was just no stability. And I just dropped right on my face, started screaming because it was just excruciating pain. I partially tore my ACL and fully tore my meniscus. Um, And I'll never forget this. This dude, Ran over to me, and you know what the fuck that thing is? After he did this, I gave him my captain's band so he could be captain (laughs) for the game. I don't know why I did gave it to him after this, but he ran over to me. He thought I had a, a a calf cramp, and I'm like, dude, do you think I would like fall so obnoxiously and then sit there and and scream? I mean, yes, I was like 15, 16 years old, but damn, like I'm screaming because it hurts so bad. And you come over and think I have a calf cramp, so you grab my leg and he like pulls it out to try to help me stretch my calf while I'm laying on the ground. And the ref stopping the game, and I just fucking start screaming, kicked him off with my cleat, like get off me, dude. Oh, it was a scene. It was horrible, but yeah, that happened. Now that is blowing out my knee. I later had surgery. Um, that's actually when I started. I went through a growth spurt and lost weight, got really into soccer, got really good, soccer, snowboarding, skateboarding, and then this happened, and then the weight started piling back on because um, I was a really chubby kid, and then I had like a two-year semi-lean state, and then I got injured, and then I gained a bunch of weight after that injury. The next year, I tore my ACL in soccer again. Um, I actually planted wrong pretty much the same exact situation. Nobody slid-tackled me, but I planted wrong. Um, tore my ACL that time. Um, the next year in preseason... Gain more weight after that, and that's what got me into fitness. But that's blowing out your knee, right? Really cool story, intense, almost got a goal, got slid by some dude. It was like a tournament game, yada, yada. This situation, and this just goes to show you guys, don't take movement for granted. Anything can happen at any time. We don't have control over everything and it's important to keep our body healthy because in so many ways and shapes and forms, I'm very healthy. I have very healthy biomarkers, blood tests. I've done I've done hormonal tests like every few months. Um, my vitamin levels are great. My metabolism is great. Um, I have a high-stress lifestyle but I manage stress pretty well. I get enough sleep kind of because you can only control so much with a baby. But I do a lot of things to make sure my, my – my body is healthy, my mind is healthy, my relationship relationships healthy, everything in my life, right? But we all kind of have like an underlying issue that we tend to ignore because it challenges us or it forces us to slow things down that we don't want to slow down, right? After these surgeries, I never fully rehab my knee. Um, I was young. I just wanted to party and hang out with friends. So I would say I'd go, quote, unquote, to PT and I'd skip PT all the time, go hang out with my friends instead, um, go ride the bike in, uh, weights class and hope that that rehab my knee, which didn't do shit because it didn't create stability. Um, but long story short over time, over the last 10 years after that injury, um, I have grown bone calcifications have happened. I have like indentations and disfigurations in my bone, which is really trippy to see on the, on the, uh, x-ray. My kneecap does not look like a kneecap and I have arthritis on the medial and lateral side. And then last but not least my meniscus, this is the gross part, shifts in and out of place, which is fucking weird. I actually never know, knew what was happening. But for years, this has happened, right? I remember being in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and rolling with a guy in my meniscus, would shift out of place. And basically, they call this lock knee, and your knee just freezes, and it locks up in like a semi-flexed position. You're in like a 45-degree angle, and you can't lock it out. You can't bend it. You're just like stuck. It's just not super painful, depending on how bad it is. Um, it would be kind of pain, more like an achy pain, but just really uncomfortable and awkward feeling, right? And so I would have to manually take my leg and just extend it until my knee locked out. And I would push it and push it and push it. And I had my hands down down there at this point. Like, I'm literally forcing this to happen. And I would just pop it, and it would make a noise. And I remember people on the other side of the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu mat. It was a big... uh Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym too, Uh, shout out to James Foster, and people would hear that just loud, and it was just like, whoa, and Muay Thai would happen every time I was kicking, Um, and then sometimes when I'm even doing like shin boxes, it would slide out of place, and I would have to pop my knee back in, it was the weirdest thing, but it limited my range of motion, and it stopped me from doing a lot of deep mobility, because going into certain mobility positions, it would happen, right? Going into a super, super deep squat, I would risk the potential of that happening. So I would do unilateral work way more than I would do full range of motion squats or work on the squat or, or do things that are going to improve it, um, which is funny because I actually just finally hired Active RX to help me with this. And then a month later, we didn't even get four weeks into training for to rehab my knee that this happened. But Long story short, I have all these issues underlying and I wasn't dealing with them because the reality is is what what's going to happen is that's going to slow me down, right? I love training, I love lifting, I love sprinting, I love high intensity cardio, don't really prefer low intensity. I love moving, I love going. I stand up at my desk. I do whatever I can to just not stop, really. And this issue would force me to slow down a lot of things. Hey, stop lifting so heavy, stop going so fast, stop doing so much. Let's slow down, let's recover, let's do mobility. The things that my OCD and impatient brain can't physically <laughs> like put up with because I just get so bored and antsy, and it's just my nature i'm I'm impatient and anxious by nature, but um, I was ignoring it because of that, right? It was uncomfortable, it was changed, it was different. and because of that, last Saturday night uh, at two in the morning. Um, not just the Saturday that passed, but the week before. So this is—it's been a week and a half now. Um, by the time you guys are listening to this, I will have just had my MRI on Monday, doctor's appointment on Tuesday. So I went and got my MRI yesterday, the day I'm recording this, and I have my doctor's appointment tomorrow to find out the actual culprit or the the diagnosis. Do I need surgery or whatever? But basically, Saturday night at 2 a.m., I'm rolling over in bed to help with the baby because the baby was crying, and the knee pops. But this time, I can't pop it back into place. So I'm, like, holding my knee and bending over. And Shan's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I think my knee locked out again. And I'm starting to, like, push and push. And I'm trying to lock my knee out as hard as I fucking can. Like, I'm, like, literally, like, an inch or two away from extending it. And my knee is shaking. And I'm, in like, more painful than it's ever been in my life. And I just couldn't lock it out. I couldn't do it. So... This time, what they think happened is, I mean, like I said, arthritis, calcifications, things that are causing a little bit of joint pain and inflammation, but essentially the meniscus slid out of place, it's stuck between two joints, and it's not wanting to pop back into place, no matter what I do, so I can't walk, I'm on crutches, um, in fact, we just had a fucking, we're calling it Seattle snow and but basically, more snow than we've probably had in a decade, and I've been locked in the house, getting cabin fever, because I can't even crutch outside for shit, so it's been a hell of a week, and, uh, the question that the reason I was telling you guys the story is number one to fill you guys in on what i'm what 's going on with my knee, but number two, a lot of people have been asking me like um, what are you doing for training, what are you doing for nutrition, so on and so forth, and I just kind of wanted to show you guys how i 'm adjusting because I get this question all the time too, right like how do I adjust for an injury so i 'm going to share with you guys how i 'm adjusting for an injury and, and and so you guys know like this is a very negative thing and it's it's definitely difficult to not get down right. I can't even carry my coffee upstairs. Like, thank God for Shannon. She does everything she possibly can to make sure I'm comfortable and make sure I'm getting help, like things are going well. But the reality is is I can't do a whole lot by myself, and that's pretty frustrating. It's a negative thing to go through. It's not fun, but it is what it is, and I can't necessarily control that. So instead of worrying about it, stressing about it, getting pissed about it, I'm going to focus on what I can focus on. I'm going to focus on getting better and my nutrition and training my upper body and getting jacked. (laughs) getting upper body swole um, in the meantime, and I'm going to do whatever I can, right? So control what you can control, and don't worry about what I call traffic stress, which is bullshit that we have zero control over. I cannot control that I rolled out of bed, twisted my knee, and did this. It happened. I can't control that. It is what it is. So I'm going to look at what I can control. Now, for my nutrition, we'll start with that because that's pretty simple. I basically increased I didn't increase protein because I already consume more than enough protein. So I consume on average probably like 1.2 grams per pound um, even when I'm not in a cut just for adherence purposes. It's not really giving me any benefit, but I do enjoy protein quite a bit. When I have a steak, I don't want a 4-ounce steak. I want a 12-ounce steak. When I have chicken, I don't want a 4-ounce chicken breast. I want an 8-ounce chicken breast. So it's just adherence. Like I just know that I'm going to consume more protein, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. So I'm going to keep my protein high. And I actually have an argument to make against gaining. Um, You know, like technically when you're gaining, you don't need as much protein because carbs and fats are higher. So it's kind of like a protein-sparing nutrient, which basically means that – Because we have more calories coming from these other macronutrients, we just do not need as much protein in order to build muscle because protein is being used for muscle and that's it. You don't end up using protein for other systems and processes in your body because you're not in a deficit. But, however... If we look at, you know, in a gaining phase or in a reverse diet, as I increase my calories, I'm increasing my carbs, right, or my fat for that matter, both of which usually have protein, especially like carbs. Like if we crank up more rice, more bread, more oats, more things like that more sweet potatoes, we are increasing our protein. If we increase nuts in our diet, things like that, we are increasing protein. But those are not bioavailable proteins. Those are plant-based proteins, um, grain-based, gluten-based proteins, things like that. Just do not convert to muscle the same way meat or animal products do. Dairy does. The reason being is because the amino acid profile is a lot different, right? They don't have as high of a leucine content. Therefore, it might be advantageous to keep Protein at one gram per pound, or maybe even slightly higher, or at least just know that if you're starting at 0.8 grams per pound, like the bare minimum, and as you increase your carbs, you may need to slightly increase your protein as well, because you're going to want to get that bare minimum protein in bioavailable protein. That's why a lot of very successful bodybuilders they don't count veggies, they don't count carbs, they don't count like the uh, they don't count the trace macronutrients from other macronutrients, meaning. The only thing I count my protein is – like for chicken breast, I don't count the fat in there. I only count the protein. For veggies, I I don't count at all. For yams and rice, I don't count the protein in there or the fat in there or anything like that. All I count is the carbs. So they have their kind of categories and they use templates. I don't do it like this. But a lot of successful bodybuilders, a lot of old school bodybuilders do it this way and they're very successful. and, And I think this has some reason or of why they're successful with it Um, and if you look at their daily totals they're probably eating more than enough protein because of this so i think that's a really important thing to to factor in so i already have my protein intake um, set that's going to help with recovery quite a bit because remember protein is something that helps recover and rehabilitate and repair tissues in the body tissues in the body includes bone tendon, ligament, muscle, so on and so forth. So, I'm making sure that I'm hitting at least 1 to 1.2 grams per pound. I am getting extra collagen in. So, I I used to be off and on and I would just throw it in my coffee when I felt like it but now I'm pretty religious about getting uh, one to two servings of collagen per day in my coffee just because I want that extra collagen for the tendon and the bone and and the joint health. Um, I am supplementing with uh, more anti-inflammatory supplements. So, I'm taking curcumin now um, that has black pepper peptide in it because that's going to help convert the curcumin um, and actually utilize it in my body. I am taking extra fish oil. I'm taking um, things like that because I do believe that having a little bit more anti-inflammatory supplementation or nutrients in your diet to back things up is going to help. Like right now, like I always have fruit every day and I usually keep a good variety, but right now it's like blueberries because blueberries are great for inflammation. So it's like blueberries every day for that, right? So... I'm being pretty religious with the anti-inflammatory food choices. Um, I'm not using a ton of coconut oil right now because olive oil is known for helping with anti-inflammation. Anti-inflam- and I don't usually do a lot of uh, olive oil because I love coconut oil. But right now I'm, I'm adding in more olive oil because I'm being deliberate with my micronutrients to make sure that I am focused on inflammation, right? Um, As far as macros go, I actually have my – so we right now – shout out to Lisa. Lisa is interning with us. She's going to be ready to start as a coach fuck any day. She's a rock star. She's crushing it. She's already working with clients. She's like flying through books and and research and studies that I send her. It's just insane. So shout out to Lisa. I'm really excited to bring her on the team. Um, But she's also – Uh, And I shared this with somebody and they were like, damn, that's nerve (laughs) wracking. But she's doing my nutrition. So I asked her to do my nutrition and I definitely threw her for a whirlwind. It was actually pretty funny The the first thing I said was like, hey, I'm looking to gain muscle because I am like that's my goal right now is I want to spend like six months building as much muscle as possible. And then I'm going to start my cut at the beginning of summer so that when I go on my honeymoon in November, I can be not shredded, but lean um, and leaner than anybody else at the at the tropical resort. But anyway, so I told her, I was like, hey, right now I want to gain, but I I made it difficult on her. I was like, hey, I want to gain, but I also have a really high-stress lifestyle. I barely sleep. Um, I don't want to gain any fat. I want to keep my abs. I made it super difficult, and she handled it really well, and she gave me a really good prescription. And as soon as she gave it to me, I was like, hey, change of plans. Um, I tore something in my knee last night. So not gaining because my training volume goes down. I need you to re rewrite this prescription and give me something more maintenance, health, anti-inflammation based. And she did that for me. So what we did is we lowered carbs quite a bit, kept protein as are, and then um, increased fats um, and really focused on, like I said, the anti-inflammation ingredients. So she made sure that I'm getting those in my diet and that I'm tweaking my nutri- my macros to make sure that it's more of a – anti-inflammation-based diet, more of a maintenance diet. I'm not looking to get shredded. I'm not looking to build muscle. I'm just looking to keep my health, my hormones, my nervous system, my cortisol levels, um, and the inflammation in my joints down so I can really optimize recovery. And it's helping quite a bit. I'm actually maintaining weight from what I can tell. I can't really balance on the the scale (laughs) with one leg like that without supporting myself and that throws off the weight. But I'm maintaining leanness. Um, I I, I will definitely say it's a mind fuck not being in the gym as much because – you feel like you're shrinking. Like I just don't have a pump as often, which really gets to me. But overall, I feel really good, and I feel like the recovery is is going pretty fast. The, the inflammation, the swelling, is going down tremendously. So, my goal is to speed this up, and Lisa has definitely helped me do that. So, more from you'll see more of her, you'll hear, but more about her as she gets ingrained into the team and she keeps doing work. So, um, stay tuned for more on Lisa, but she's gonna help me get out of this uh, this rehab scenario and then into my gaining phase too. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, the big thing is anti-inflammation based foods, really focusing on quality. And I think this is a great example of when it's not all about macros, right? Like right now I'm injured. So I need to focus on getting the right micronutrients in abundance to, to give my body what it needs to repair the shit it's going through right now. Cause this is not a normal state of being for me. So that's, that's a big focus for me. Um, now training Training has been cool. Actually, right now, my delts are fucking sore as hell. So what I'm actually doing is the shoulder and arm specialization phase inside of the Boom Boom Elite. So um, if you guys want that exact program or if you're a female looking for the goddess, which is – so I'm running Armageddon, which is the name of the program that I'm doing, and then there's another uh, specialization cycle inside the elite that we just uploaded called Goddess, which – excuse me, is a, uh, glute focused program. So it's, it's a glute builder. Um, both of them are five days a week. The glute builder is three lower body days, two upper body days. Um, so it goes lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, and you can kind of spread your rest days out as such. I recommend doing like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest Thursday, Friday, Saturday for me, because every weekend for the next four or five weeks I'm speaking, um, And when I'm not speaking, it's family day. For me, it's Monday through Friday and then take Saturday, Sunday off or like go on a walk right now, go on a crutch (laughs) around the block (laughs) or do whatever. Um, But right now I'm running Armageddon, which is a shoulder and arm focused program. So my normal split would be Monday shoulders. So I'm sorry, not shoulders, Monday upper body. So it's everything. Push, pull, uh, a lot of delts and then arms and then lower body and then upper and lower and then upper. But for me, I'm doing upper body without arms on Monday. So I'm doing – that's like my heavy push-pull day with some delt focus, like lateral raises, some isolation work. And then Tuesday, I'm doing arms. So I'm taking arms out of upper body day. And then on Tuesday, I'm doing abs and arms. So if I position myself properly, bracing with one leg – which kind of throws me in an offset position. I can do some ab work. So I'm doing some ab work in the beginning and then I'm doing um, a little bit extra volume on the arms. So I added a good amount of volume to what is in the normal program Um, and then I go upper body again on Wednesday, which again is going to be push-pull shoulders and then Thursday is going to be arms and abs, Friday is going to be push-pull shoulders again. I'm not doing any legs whatsoever just because I can't. Um, Once I get the diagnosis of this, I'm going to add a little bit of single leg work on my right side because strength is such a neurological thing. So if we actually do some volume on the good side, so even though my left knee is going through the injury, if I do a little bit of volume on my right side, there's some studies and some, some data and some books and some text that shows about 30 to 35% of that strength can actually still be transitioned to the left side, which isn't a lot. But because strength is such a neurological thing, your nervous system will apply that to your whole body. So it it does hold merit to do some lower body still for me. It's just going to be single leg work. So single leg RDL, single leg pistol squats, whatever I can manage to do once they give me the diagnosis and I know ex- exactly how long I'm going to be out for, I'll probably do that. But the thing to remember here too is I do have some crossover, right? So I'm doing push, pull, and shoulders. So my arms still get hit Monday and Wednesday and Friday, which means that I can't go overboard on Tuesday and Thursday. It's more about just getting a pump um and you'll probably think too like man that's a lot of fucking volume on your upper body like how do you recover from that well we got to remember that there's two pieces of volume right max volume on your muscular system is different than max volume on your nervous system your nervous system can only recover from so much volume so because i'm doing so much volume on my upper body it, that is a lot of stress on my upper body from a muscular tissue standpoint my body is going to adapt to it accordingly but it's not as much. If if anything, it's less or at the most, it's at the same amount of volume that I did before on my nervous system because before I was doing sets of squats and deadlifts and lunges and things like that. So I'm used to doing a lot of volume but spreading it across head to toe. Now it's like waist up. So I'm still doing less total volume. It's just way more focused. Um, so my nervous system is still able to recover. But I will say Armageddon is smashing my shoulders, which I'm excited about because I'm trying to trying to get big and try to do a little bit of gaining and I'm actually gonna do a little project because I've been um, kind of reflecting quite a bit ever since this injury and and looking at the next year and I'm really gonna spend some time. It's been the hardest thing for me is spending time in a true gaining phase because I don't like getting fluffy or having any extra fat because I like staying lean. But the reality is is I'm at a point now where I'm getting closer and closer to a older age as far as muscle growth. Goes and it will slow down soon. And if I don't do that now, I, I think I'm going to lose my window of being able to get bigger. So for me, I need to kind of man up and do it. So I'm excited about that. But it's starting well. Just like going into this, actually, just started this week with Armageddon, and uh, my shoulders already feel like they're gonna they're gonna explode because they're just fucking burnt today, um, which is great because I haven't felt that in a while. Because I always do a lot of shoulders. So if you're interested in a shoulder arm program, if you're interested in a glute program. Go check out The Elite, guys. It's it's one of the – I would say it's, it's the best online training membership sites there is. I truly believe that because I put so much education in there. I put so many fucking programs in there. A lot of people don't upload as many programs as I do. Like there's multiple programs every single month. So you have training done for you every day. It's crazy. And then you're getting access to me to answer questions, to give you videos, to do lives, to do so many different things. You get my ebooks, like, you get everything in there. So it's the biggest educational resource. It is the one place for. Really for eliminating your insecurities on program design, that's why I built it is because I was tired of wondering what the fuck to do and seeing so many different training splits, so many different programs, so many different styles of lifting, so many different rep zones and sets and yada, yada. There's so much shit out there. It was like what do I actually do for me to grow and stay consistent with my training program? So I, I built the elite to not only provide my clients, my nutrition clients with expert programming so they see fantastic results, but also to eliminate the insecurities of coaches out there who do not know what to program. They need examples. They need answers. They need support. They need guidance. This is what this is for. So I know I just went on a little marketing rant, but I'm just really passionate about the elite guys. So if you want in on the program I'm doing right now, if you want to eliminate your insecurities on what to do in the gym, go check out the elite. It's the blessed place online. It's the cheapest place to get training programs like this too. It's insane. So there's a link in the description or you can go to boomboomformance.com elite. But that is what's going on with me, guys. My knee has been uh, delaying some things for me, but I'm still managing. I'm still, I'm still here and I'm still working towards uh, better progress. So that's how I am doing it. Let's get on to the Q&A. Let's answer some fucking questions. Here we go. So Grant Kale from Facebook, says, what are the key indicators that it's time to move out of a cut? Ooh. So here, there's a couple things on this one. I think this is a great question. And and the reason I think it's such a good question is because a lot of people are familiar with biofeedback now, right? Like, there's a few people in the industry, I like to believe I'm one of them, who made this popular, who made this really well-known to other coaches. Like, you should be tracking biofeedback. You should be tracking more than just weigh-ins, right? Um, so I think people get too carried away with biofeedback in this sense. Now, hear me out because I always track it, I live and in, in, in adjust by biofeedback. I really do believe in it, and I use it with every client. But, however, when we are on a cut, a true cut, and we are trying to lose body fat and we are trying to change our physique, our biofeedback is not going to be positive, it's not always going to be good. You are going to have worse sleep at times. You are going to be more irritable. You're going to be more moody. You're going to have more stress. You are probably going to be hungry. That's part of it. You might have some cravings. The truth is, is if you go on a serious cut and you're going to get lean, leaner than you've ever been, then you are going to have some quote-unquote key indicators that are negative. But that it's not a bad thing. This is where self-discipline and mindset comes into play. And this is why I think it's so important for people to understand that mindset is such a big tool and such a big necessity inside of body transformation. If you're not really dialed in with your mindset, if you're not practicing things that allow you to build your self-discipline, I'm going to link a, a video in the show notes because I talked about it in a recent video. But if you're not doing these things to make sure your your self-discipline is on point and up to par, you're not going to be able to successfully go through a cut. It's just the reality. You need that in order to push away cravings, to avoid giving in to hunger, so on and so forth. So I think biofeedback can be a sign, but I don't always think it's the it's the biggest key indicator. right? I don't think it's the best thing to go by. Um, The only time I think it's the best thing to go by is if you're already very lean. If you come to me and you do not have much weight to lose, like you're lean but you want to be extremely lean and you're not losing weight and you have horrible biofeedback, then I'm going to say, yeah, we got to reverse diet because you've done this for too long, which I'm going to get to in a sec, and now you're kind of at a stuck point, which is really the next point. One of the biggest key indicators that it's time to move on and out of a cut is when you're just not seeing progress anymore right? If you have been cutting and you've been adjusting and you're dropping calories lower and lower and lower, and you're just not seeing progress. And you can do the calculations like don't get me wrong. Calculations aren't super individualized. Like you need to look into metabolic history, training, output, things like that. But still, if you do a basic calculation, let's say eight to 10 times your body weight, if you're in between that or below that, and you're still not losing weight, that's a key indicator, right? You've you're probably past your point. You're probably at a plateau that's too big that you're not going to move past anytime soon and we need to get you out of that. The other part of that is it's just been too long. If you've been dieting and in a deficit, quote-unquote, like that low amount, 8 to 10, maybe even up to 12 times your body weight for more than I would say 20 weeks – then I think you're, you're just been in it too long. And you'll see like your, key, your biofeedback will be bad. You've plateaued multiple times at this point. Um, you're kind of stuck and you've been doing it for too long. At that point, you need to move forward. You need to get out of the cut and, and do something different. You need to reverse diet um, or hang out at maintenance for a while. And then you need to plan a cut that involves more diet breaks and refeeds. Um, I, I think anybody who is dieting for fat loss should probably have some form of refeeding or diet breaks, um, unless it's a short term timeline, right? So if you're somebody who's getting ready for stage, a photo shoot, a wedding, you just don't have much time to do it. Or let's say you're even like, I can't afford a coach for that long. Like I need to get to this goal in three months and then I'm going to try to maintain on my own. I get that. It's not always the best approach, but I get it. I think that is a different story too. Um, I think you can do that without diet breaks because it's not that long, but For most people, long-term wise, you should be implementing diet breaks to make sure that you don't have those bad issues. Lindsay, I I really don't know how to pronounce your name, and I'm sorry because I butcher things all the time. Lindsay Sayenz, S-A-E-N-Z from Facebook. What rep ranges would you recommend for a client that only can get to the gym two to three times a week doing a full body workout? I answered her quickly on Facebook, and I said I would elaborate on here. Every rep range. There's no reason to neglect any rep range. Just like macronutrients, you should have them all. So this is something that daily undulated periodization kind of made popular, right? They put people on the platform for powerlifting that were doing every rep range. They were doing speed days. They were doing strength days. They were doing hypertrophy days in the high rep zones. And they were crushing people on the platform and they were jacked. So now we're like, okay, what's going on here? Well, the reality is, is every rep range kind of focuses on a different intensity, right? Power, strength development, endurance, hypertrophy, so on and so forth. Really, we should be doing all these because that's how we're going to develop our muscle, our strength, and our nervous system at the most optimal rate. So I don't think anybody should neglect any rep range, really. Now, if you're doing three sessions per week that are full body, I would say, what is your main goal? Pick a rep range that is more uh, productive for that for two-thirds of your programming. Now, remember, too, that... The reality is is there's no perfect rep range right so like saying 8 to 12 quote unquote is hypertrophy is false um because if volume is equated then hypertrophy will happen so even if you do three reps per set but you do the same amount of volume it'll still grow the problem is is doing three reps the intensity goes up so your weights go up you can't do as many sets to create hypertrophy so even though technically there is no hypertrophy zone staying in between, I would say, 6 to 15 reps is still going to be most optimal for hypertrophy because it allows you to be at the right intensity zone. It allows you to more easily get the right volume. Um, It allows you to reach that manageable fatigue zone better, which is basically saying like you're reaching an RPE of 8 to 9. So you're getting close to mechanical failure. You're getting close to muscle failure, muscle fatigue, and we need that to stimulate growth. So back to the the 3-day split. Let's say that you're focused on hypertrophy or building muscle or body fat or or losing body fat or body composition period. That is your main goal. Then I would say two of those three sessions should be predominantly in that 6 to 15 rep range. One of those sessions should be in the 6 or less rep ranges. Now you have one day purely focused on nervous system and strength and power development. You have two days focused on body composition, aesthetics, hypertrophy, muscle growth, right? If your goal is purely strength, you flip it. Two of those sessions are going to be more nervous system, six reps or less strength-based. And then one of those sessions is going to be six to 15 rep range, more like eight to 15 rep ranges for hypertrophy. So two-thirds of your sessions should always be focused on your number one goal. You still need that other stimulus to enhance that goal long-term because at a certain point, you max out your ability to lift more weights in that 8 to 15 rep ranges. Therefore, we need to spend some time working on strength and nervous system development to improve your strength in that 8 to 15 rep range. So you can't neglect one or the other. And a bigger muscle supports bigger weights. So if your goal is strength, you still need to build muscle. Now, the other way you could do this is you could have two-thirds of every day, every session – In that hypertrophy zone. So maybe you start with a big lift. And this is how I prefer to do it because for me, hypertrophy is always my main goal. That's what I like the best. So for me, I enjoy that 8 to 15 rep range the most. But I know that I need to work on strength. So for me, I'm like, okay, my compound lift is going to be in that 3 to 5 rep range. I'm going to do some strength work at the beginning of my session for a compound. If I'm doing three days a week, that would be like squat bench deadlift. Um, or squat, yeah, squat bench deadlift Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to do that in the three to five rep range on those days. That's my strength work. The rest of my program each day is going to be six, eight, 10, 12, up to 20 reps, right? So your assessor work ends up being hypertrophy. But now again, two-thirds of my total volume throughout the week is still focused on my number one goal. So the best thing to do is going to be do all the rep ranges, but really categorizing it in what your number one goal is, and then spending two thirds of your time and two thirds of your volume in that rep range. One third of your volume in the other. Ooh, these names are hard. Jank R Loman. I don't know if his first name is Cenk R. and then Loman, or if it's Jank and then R. Loman. Either way, I'm sorry, dude. I've talked to you multiple times on Instagram as well, and I apologize because I just, I'm so bad with names. Um, let's see. When was the first time, when was the last time you fell off your own fitness game? How did you get yourself back in? Ooh, that's a good question. So, uh, um, I have such a douchey answer for lack of better terms, and I'm sorry, but I've never fallen off my fitness game. And I mean that. I've, I've, In the eight and a half, almost nine years of training, I've never fallen off. And I don't know if I have a slight obsession (laughs) with this. I don't know if that's a healthy thing, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But truly, I've never fallen off. And I think the reason is because I do look at this as a lifestyle. Um, I'm, I'm much more focused on health. I'm much more focused on where I'm going to be in a year versus a month. I'm much more focused on next week versus this week. Like everything is, is big term, big long-term thinking, big time game plan. Um, so I've just never fallen off. You know, I've had struggles. I've had, um, speed bumps or hiccups. Like for example, I rolled out of bed and tore something in my knee. I took two days off the gym, right? So that was Saturday. I woke up, 2 a.m. went back to bed woke up went to the ER on Saturday at like 9 a.m. I didn't train Saturday obviously I didn't train Sunday I was back in my garage gym on Monday doing upper body it was like a deload week all week because I knew my nervous system was hurting from the surgery or not surgery the injury but I spent the week deloading I spent the week doing like pump work light stuff like think like keeping my RPE below eight just to make sure that I was staying healthy and smart but I didn't fall off. Like I got right back on the wagon and just kept moving forward. Like that's just how I work. Um, I know that training. I know that quality nutrition. These things benefit me, right? Like I, I eat a bunch of sugar. I eat something bad and I feel off the next day. I don't like that feeling so I try to avoid doing it. Now every once in a while I do eat whatever it is because it's it's a family event, it's a social outing, whatever it is, and that fits into my macros or whatever. But I do feel the repercussions the next day because I'm very aware of my body. And because of that, it's just such a lifestyle for me. I appreciate good health and good movement and, and quality sleep and having good hormones and things like that so much that it's just really hard for me to fall off. And I think if you can educate yourself and build awareness around just how great our bodies can be and how appreciative you should be of those things, I think it's a lot easier to stay consistent, and I think it's a lot easier to not fall off. Like, I I, I never have cravings. I never, like, it's very rare for me to eat outside of, like, a quote-unquote list of foods because, you know, there's, like, certain foods that I like to eat, and they're, they're grass-fed meats, they're cage-free chicken, eggs, uh, organic dairy, like... The things that agree with my body—veggies, produce, fruit—like, and I have a ton of variety because the reality is, is those lists aren't small. Like, right? there's so many real foods, um, and even things like gluten-free organic oats, like those agree with my body. I eat them almost every day, um, but I stick to those foods, and, and I love them, and I appreciate them, and I never get bored of them because I know what they do for my body, and I feel so much better with them. So I think that, as like I said, douchey, and I don't want to sound like a tool, like I'm—I never fall off, hardcore, bro, team, no sleep, but. The reality is I've just never fallen off. I appreciate doing what I do so much and I love it so much that it's never been difficult. And it's actually crazy to think about. I've never thought about this until you asked that question. But, um, And that's a pretty cool accomplishment. In the last eight and a half, nine years, I've never skipped a period of time of training longer than a few days, literally. Um, I can think of maybe a couple times – that I went like a week and it was because I was on vacation. Like I went on a cruise one time. I went to Hawaii one time. I went on multiple vacations where I'm gone for a week. And yes, I fall off my training program. But I mean I'm in the hotel gym. I'm going on walks. I'm, I'm still meditating. I'm still eating the best I can. So I've literally never actually fallen off completely. Um, so I don't know. I, and I think that's the secret to getting yourself back in is if you've fallen off your fitness game multiple times, then I think you need to look at it from a different viewpoint different lens, right? And start thinking, okay, this isn't adhe- this isn't something I can adhere to. I'm not looking at this like a long game strategy. I'm looking at this as a quick fix to fix an insecurity I have to make me feel better temporarily. That's not going to last you. That's the reality. So until you start looking at it that way. So I think the secret to getting yourself back in is really just changing your viewpoint on what fitness and what nutrition and what health really is. And if you can grow more self-aware, educate yourself and actually create some more appreciation of what it does for you and and how great it is, I think you'll be way more consistent and way less likely to fall off in the first place. All right. Um, Coach Joe Fitz from Instagram, five grams of creatine pre or post. Does it matter? Loading phase? So, Pretty simple. Number one, you don't need to load this at all. Um, the old, and This has been proven. The reason they started doing loading phases where they tell you to take 10, 15, 20 grams like extra uh, scoops basically for the first week to load your – Creatine stores is because they wanted you to run out of the tub quicker and buy more. The reality is is that your body is going to saturate creatine on its own, and it'll do that after a few weeks anyway. So, and it's not something you even need to cycle in and off of. Creatine is one of the most studied supplements. It's so good for you from a muscle strength, power, nervous system, brain health. Like it's very, very good for you. Very positive. There's no negative side effects. They're even showing stuff that helps with Alzheimer's and, and kids' health and school and IQ and shit like that. It's it's pretty crazy how great creatine is. Um, it's not like limitless where you take it and you're a Bradley Cooper status genius, but um, it is something that can contribute to long-term health benefits. So this, what happens with creatine is your body gets saturated with. Once it gets saturated, it's in your bloodstream. So what I took for my five grams of creatine this morning with a protein shake before my workout – really didn't contribute to my workout today. My workout today, the creatine used in today's workout, is probably from my saturation stores, which have been accumulated over the last however many months I've been taking creatine. Um, So that's how creatine works. Therefore, you don't really need a loading phase. You just need to be consistent for a few weeks. Then you're going to be saturated. Then you just need to keep taking 5 grams per day. Because of this, you also don't need to worry about it being pre or post. Now, there was a recent study that showed creatine – Absorption was better post-workout with carbohydrates. The problem with that is is we don't know every avenue of the study. Were they taking people who have never taken creatine before? Probably because that would make it more not- noticeable in the, in the lab results. But basically if they're taking people – so maybe if you want to get saturated quicker – You would take it five grams with carbs post-workout for the first two to three weeks to make sure that you get saturated and it's in your bloodstream and it's being absorbed faster. But after that point, again, it doesn't really matter. There's not enough data yet that says that we need it post-workout with carbs. Right now, most of the data just says any time of day as long as you're taking five grams a day. And five grams is arbitrary. It's like – Usually it's between three to five grams. Um, it's, it's really, I, I don't know the exact amount, but it's like 0.25 grams per kilogram of body weight or something along those lines. I actually think it might be exactly that. Um, but usually it ends up being three to five grams. It's an easy calculation to make. Most supplements sell it in five grams. I would just do that. Um, my recommendation for creatine is gonna be Muscle Feast because they use creep Pure and it's been uh, shown in lab results to be one of the most pure um, Creatine supplements out there on the market. Victoria Plummer, thoughts on keto? I think I get this question asked more frequently than anything. This and intermittent fasting. Uh, my thoughts on keto are that it is great if you have an autoimmune-related disease, if you have a medical ailment that is hospitalizing you, so cancer and multiple sclerosis, things like that, that have been documented in studies. Um, I think it's great. I think it's going to help you get into remission, possibly. Um, I think if you have – sometimes if you have some very severe gut issues, I think it can be positive but not always because a lot of uh, foods containing the right fibers, probiotics, prebiotics, things that are going to help your gut are in carbohydrates. So it can, that one's a toughie. Um, but overall, if I just told you my personal opinion, I'm not a huge fan because I think in my business and my work – is very performance and aesthetic driven now i still help people chase health but majority of people who approach me they want to lose fat they want to build muscle they want to get stronger they want to look better feel better be more confident i don't think keto is going to give you that if i have somebody and i've used this before on somebody who had you know was on a hundred pound weight loss journey and we hit a plateau and i believed it was due to insulin resistance we use keto help them get through the plateau and then we switch back to something that was more adherable for them I think that works, right? I think keto has its time and its place. You can help reset insulin sensitivity for somebody who has become insulin resistant or maybe just is at a serious plateau. But again, the biggest thing here is you know, it, it still comes down to calories. Um, it has its application for disease management or possibly insulin resistance. But other than that, I think it's subpar to a balanced diet um, or a higher carb approach because a higher carb approach is going to support hormones just as well um, and sometimes better. It's going to support fiber. It's going to f- support social aspects and flexibility so you can have more wiggle room within your diet. So it's just easier to manage. It's going to support adherence better, consistency better. It's going to h- support muscle damage and recovery better so your performance is better and you build more muscle along the way, or maintain more muscle during a cut. Um, and again, it's just easier for people. So I really, I'm a bigger fan of a balanced nutrition, or even a lot of times higher carb approaches. I have a lot of clients that I use a higher carb percentage, um, and it works really well for adherence and how they feel. Um, carbohydrates are our main, our body's main fuel source. So if I can get somebody f- fueled. Their energy is going to be better. Their brain function is going to be better. Their performance in the gym is going to be better. All those things are going to lead to more muscle, more caloric expenditure, which is going to get them leaner. Their confidence is going to go up. I tend to favor a higher-carb approach. So that's my thoughts on keto. This question is from Unknown because their name was cut off, so I apologize. why do some people have to reach a greater deficit before the fat starts to come off? This is a great question, and I answered this and a couple others that will be on this podcast in a video that's going to be coming out f- the same day as this podcast, actually, I think. Uh, I, I can't remember, but um, this is a great question, and the reality is, is we don't know. We really don't know. I think that um, everybody kind of has a threshold, right? I use myself as an example just because I don't have to – call anybody out but I've reverse dieted my carbs up to 400 grams and maintained my weight within a few pounds right and that was great but I didn't start seeing weight loss until I dropped my carbs below 200 grams actually it was like 225 grams I started finally seeing weight loss Um, and my fats and protein stayed about the same fats I think dropped like 10 grams from like 60 to 50 or maybe it was like from 70 to 60 but the point is is that's a lot of calories right um so for a lot of people, we can increase calories and maintain, but to cut, it's very hard. So we all kind of have this threshold, which is why diet breaks are so crucial. So if you haven't listened to the reverse diet podcast or the periodization podcast, you got to go listen to those. Cause the reality is, is because we know everybody has this kind of threshold where we usually have to break this caloric intake point to really start seeing success or seeing great results. We know that we're going to have to diet them down. So two things to remember with this. Number one for you, if you know you have this threshold, because some people don't, some people might be consuming 400 grams carbs, we cut 5% of calories via fat or carb or a combination of both, it's barely anything, like right, like 10 carbs and 5 fat or whatever, and boom, they start seeing weight loss. A couple weeks go by, you do it again, a couple weeks go by, you do it again, just a classic linear caloric deficit. This works great for a lot of people, so this isn't to say that this is everybody, but Um, There are people that have thresholds. So number one, if you know you have a threshold, your best interest is going to be to be more aggressive with your cut and then add diet breaks. So for me personally, when I go into a cut before my honeymoon, the best thing for me to do because I know I have this threshold point And this comes with – and this is my second point. You should either A, stick with a coach long enough to where they get comfortable with your metabolic history or B, you should be tracking your progress, your success, your adjustments along the way every time you do a diet because these tools and this information, this data gives you the – information you need essentially to make adjustments for future diets. So I know that once I hit about 200 grams, I finally start losing weight, right? I keep my fats and proteins pretty relative, um, constantly, no matter what I know where, like I feel best. So I keep my fats and, uh, uh, fats and proteins pretty similar. And then I just adjust via carbs. So I know for me, I'm instead of going, okay, I'm at 400 grams. I'm going to go to 385. Then I'm going to go to 350. And then I'm going to go to 315. And I'm going to keep cutting and not seeing any progress and just getting frustrated because I'm eating less and not losing any fat. I'm going to go from fucking 400 all the way down to 250. I'm going to make a huge cut. But I'm only going to stay there for two weeks, maybe three. So I'm going to see results because I made this aggressive cut. It's going to be a little bit harder and it's going to be a bigger change. And it's probably going to be a little more stressful. But I'm going to see results and that's going to be motivating. And then I don't, I'm not feeling like I'm spinning my wheels. But I know this now because I understand my threshold. So I'm going to make that big cut. I'm going to hit those, those drops in weight every week like I want to. And then at that point, I'm going to spend one, two, maybe even three weeks, probably not three, more like one or two weeks in a diet break where I go back to maintenance. I'm probably going to gain a couple pounds because I'm eating way more carbs. So I'm going to retain more water, but I'm going to fill up muscle glycogen. Then I'm going to go back to that cut. I'll probably lose those few pounds I gained during the diet break in a couple days because I just lose carbs and water like that. After three or four days, I'm back down to where I was before. And then I'll see progress for the next week and a half, two weeks while I go on this deficit. And then I go back to diet break. Right. So now we're using these diet breaks as tools. And for everybody it's different. Some people I'll have them spend three or four days in diet break every two weeks. Some people I spend a week every other every third week, fourth week. Some people two full weeks in a diet break. It just really depends, right? Everybody's different. But The point here is simple. If we know you are one of those people who have this threshold, who have this line where you have to cross that before you actually start seeing fat loss success, we can use that to our advantage and get you there quicker, pull you out of it more frequently so we can maintain your hormonal health. Um, As to why, because your actual question was why do some people have to reach a greater deficit before the fat loss starts, we have no idea. Uh, it's, It's... a, a stubbornness in your body. If anything, it might actually be because your body is more on point. It it knows that getting out of homeostasis is uncomfortable, so it's being more stubborn. It's smarter. Who knows? It's a double-edged sword because it's a very intelligent way for our bodies to react, but the reality is, is people just have that, right? And there's nothing we can do about it, and I don't even know if they have science that can prove why. And if anybody knows of a study that shows exactly why that happens, please let me know, but I've known about it for a long time, just being in the bodybuilding space and in coaching people in that world Um, I just, it's just the reality. And that's why like people who do bikini physique, bodybuilding preps with the same coach for more than one show always are more successful the second and third show. Why? Because once you go through a full prep with somebody, you learn so much about their body, how they react, where their threshold is, so on and so forth. And that allows you to adjust quicker, think smarter, be faster with adjustments, so on and so forth, and really get those people to the result quicker and easier. All right. We're going to go with, I think, one more question. Should we go, we'll go with a couple because I got I think this one's quick. Um, I don't know how to say this one either. I think it's irachial, but like one of the letters is a three, and I can't tell if it's an I or an L. After 12-week diet phase, after a 12-week diet phase, how long should we stay at lower calories before reverse dieting in order to maintain the new body fat set point. So I think they heard me talking about after you go through a reverse, you should stay at maintenance for a while. Um, And just in the same, after you go through a diet phase, you should stay down there a little bit to make sure that your body fat set point is staying put. Now, everybody's going to be different. So after a 12-week diet phase, if you get to your new goal, if you're lean as you want to be, you can do one of two things. A, you can add a two-day refeed. Um, And then keep your calories the same. No matter what, you got to do something that's going to help you maintain or fix your hormones because you've been in a diet. You don't want to spend more and more and more weeks there Um, unless you're less than 12 weeks. But that's a different story. So you're at your 12-week point. I would first add a two-day refeed and then spend another full week, five to seven days in that deficit two-day refeed, five to seven days. Do that for two weeks. See if your weight's maintaining at that point. Start reverse dieting, but very slowly. Bump your calories up on your your five to seven days of deficit and your two-day refeeds. See what happens. If you gain a couple pounds and then lose it right away, you're in a golden place. You can do it again. and You kind of do that until you can remove those refeeds and just have your whole diet going up. Um, If your body has been more stubborn and you know you need to stay down there, then you're going to do two-day refeeds, and you're going to do that for four weeks. Either way, we do have to spend a little bit of time maintaining your new body fat set point, right? And I talked about this again in the periodization um, podcast, so I would go check that. Out. I'll link that in the show notes because the reality is I can't tell you exactly how long. Um, usually for people, it's like we always say to reset anything, you're going to want to spend four to six weeks there, whether it's after reverse, before a reverse, after a gaining phase, after cut, four to six weeks is a good ballpark range of to say how long it takes your hormones to start adapting in uh, in a positive way and maintaining something new. Um, it's not exact, but, but the reality is everybody's different. What's your stress? What's your metabolic history? What's your diet? How big was the deficit? How long was the deficit? Um, you know, what's your true maintenance versus your new maintenance? What is your training like? There's so many things that are involved in it. All right, last question is Gabe Nicholas I've been tracking macros and have been reading and learning more about nutrition and foods we eat. Needless to say, I want to get much better at it to ultimately drop the food scale and the macros app altogether. How do I do it? What are your thoughts on intuitive eating? Um, So I think this is pretty easy. I think people overcomplicate this. Uh, My thoughts on intuitive eating are that it's great. I think that's like the pinnacle of what most people should be striving for. Um, That's probably what I will eventually strive for. I enjoy using macros because it gives me a tool to be flexible it doesn't stress me out the track so it's hard for me to say when i'll go intuitive because to be honest with you i enjoy tracking macros and i think there's plenty of people that and and look like if, if anybody tells you that that's not normal that's not a lifestyle so on and so forth i mean big middle finger to them because they're not you i right? do what makes you happy i have plenty of clients that it's like you know i like tracking macros i'm gonna do it now with you i'm gonna do it after i work with you great that's you that's me. That's perfect. I have a lot of clients who are like, I don't want to track macros, but I understand it's part of the journey to get to a place where I can stay lean without doing them. So work with me to get results and educate myself so I can remove them. I also get that. That's great. That's perfect. That's you. Um, now, I think no matter what, I think tracking macros is the key and understanding a system. So the big best way to do it is track macros um, and then start transitioning them out by either A, going from... Ju- tracking macros to just tracking calories and protein and then eventually just calories and then eventually nothing. Um, Maybe tracking once a week and then once a month just so you can see if you're on point. The other way to do it is track macros and then track macros uh, at the end of the night of what you ate today. So now you're kind of playing this guessing game of like, I'm, I'm not really worried on body composition, so it's, it's not a big deal if my weight fluctuates a little bit. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat intuitively all day and try to get as close as I can to those numbers. So at the end of the day, I'm going to enter in all the food I ate and see where I'm at. And you can kind of play this game for a few weeks to learn and see how you're doing. Um, the other way to do it is, is to actually kind of systemize your, your diet. So if you are hitting your macros, great. Start being less flexible with Start looking at like, okay, if I hit this much protein in every meal, measuring with my fist, if I eat this many veggies, if I eat carbs in these meals, if I have these kind of fats, I'm almost always on my target. Now I can kind of do what I just said you have a template, you have a system, you know how frequently you eat veggies versus carbs versus protein, when you time this, when you time that. And now I can just track at the end of the night and look back and see where I was at. So there's a couple of ways to do it. I think at the end of the day, man, like I think intuitive eating is great. It's all about the person and what they feel like they can adhere to long-term. I think intuitive eating is better for maintenance than it is for seeing a specific result macros are a tool they're a metric they're a data point that allows us to strategize and implement things to literally see an exact result so if you want to cut if you need to improve performance if you have a hormonal issue if you want to gain muscle it's data it's numbers it's it's a budget system it's something that allows us to literally pinpoint where we will be where we're at now and how we will get there intuitive eating doesn't really do that so i think intuitive eating is more for maintenance it's more for people who are educated on macros first Um, and i think it's great and i think that's kind of where most of us will end up eventually once we're satisfied with where we're at physically